0: Passage from today is uh, from Daniel three thirteen through thirty. This is God's word. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, "Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe." Liar, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon.
1: Let's pray together. Father, we uh, recognize and thank you for your presence here this morning, Father. We thank you for the sweet worship we've had, just focusing on your greatness, your holiness, your presence in our lives. So Father, help us to see that in your word as well. Help us to see you here this morning. Help us to see how ancient stories like these have incredible application to our lives now because of Jesus himself. So Father, be with us now in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, you'll know if you come here a lot, often I make confessions from uh, the pulpit. And this morning I have to to, to make one of those confessions. I have a confession to make, and that is that uh, I'm a pastor who often struggles with, with pride, who often struggles with self-righteousness, thinking I'm better than everyone else. But there's one particular area of self-righteousness that I feel particularly strong in my own heart and in my life. And uh, I like to call it fan-righteousness. And here's what I mean by this. If you know me, you know that uh, I'm a big sports fan, right? I uh, like watching sports. I uh, like playing sports. But uh, I'm a really big fan of both the Orioles and the Ravens. And out of the two of them, I'm a really big fan of the Orioles, even over the Ravens. So I get really excited about it. And if you've noticed, over the past few years, there's really been a lot more notice for our Orioles, right? There's been a, a re- renaissance, really, in energy around the Orioles and excitement around the Orioles. And a lot of that has been because our Orioles have been much more successful over the past few years than they've been in the years past. Well, whenever anybody starts talking about the Orioles, I feel this need inside of me, right? When they start talking about what a big Orioles fan they are and how they're excited, I feel the need to share with them About how I myself was committed to the Orioles, not just when they were good, but through 14 losing seasons, through all those seasons where I felt like I was the only one in the stadium. And I was the only one that's committed to the Orioles. You see, I feel the need to share with them that I have weathered the storms with this this team. I've stuck with them through the ups and through the downs of all those years. Now, whether it's a team or whether it's a commitment or whether it's some sort of loyalty, you and I tend to make lots of commitments when it comes to our lives. We hold lots of beliefs, we hold lots of loyalties, but often the real test of those beliefs and commitments and loyalties come when the storms of life come. Most of life, I think, is spent in one of three phases. Either the storms are gathering, either we're in the middle of the storms, or the storms are clearing. And life is full of those storms. And often when we're in the middle of those storms, it really tests the very things that we believe and the very things that we commit our lives to. The latter half of the Old Testament talks about one of these storms, and it's a really, really big storm. You see, the Old Testament tells the story about how God entered into a unique relationship with a particular family, and that particular family grew into a great nation, and God had made a covenant with this great nation, and he promised in that covenant that he would be their God, and they were required to, to be his people, and they were committed to be his people. That's where their devotion and their loyalties were supposed to, to rest with. And their commitment wavered over their history and over the years. But the storm really came towards the end of the Old Testament. And it came in the form of a foreign king named Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of the most, one of the most powerful nations in the ancient world. And in 586 BC, that king and his nation came and they conquered God's people. They carried them away into exile. They destroyed everything that they had known to be true and good. And the the questions that persist in the back end of the Old Testament are questions like this. How would God's people, this nation of Israel, exist in this new reality? How would they respond to, to being captured and carried into captivity into a pagan empire how would their faith respond to being carried away from everything that they had known would they blend into their cultural surroundings or would their faith remain strong in the midst of the storm and the book of daniel gives us some answers to those questions it offers us little unique stories about what God's people did in the midst of this incredible storm. And it helps us to see how their faith responded to the storm of King Nebuchadnezzar. And this morning, we're going to look at one particular story that we see about three men, three men uh, named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what we do is we see what it looks like to be a person of faith in an environment that feels challenging and in the storms that life often throws our way. And in the process, we're going to see three things. We see the temptation of idols. We see the challenge of trust. And finally, we'll see the presence of God. But really, the first thing we see is the temptation of idols. And really, this, this passage centers around a story uh, around the issue of a thing called idolatry. You see, the beginning of Daniel 3 tells us about how Nebuchadnezzar, who was the, power, the, the powerful king of this ancient kingdom, decided to build a massive image of gold. Many commentators have looked at the math and they say most likely this image that this king constructed was over 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. He constructed this this huge idol and and he put it on the plains of Dura and, and he called everyone from the nation to come out to this plain and gather around this massive idol that he had instructed. So people from all sorts of different nations, from every sector of society came out and gathered around this massive idol and they were given instructions from the king that when they were to hear the music that the musicians played, all of them were to bow down and worship this massive image. But the instruction also came with a threat and you see it in verse six. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the fiery furnace. Many people believe that this furnace was the very furnace that had created the image itself. And to disobey the king's order would be to be thrown into this fiery furnace. Now, this event might seem a little bizarre, but events like this were not uncommon in the ancient world because... Most uh, nations in the ancient world were polytheistic, meaning they worshipped many gods. They would worship the gods to the sun and the moon, gods to the harvest. They would worship all sorts of different gods. So for a king to create an idol and then require his people to worship that idol was not an uncommon thing. One would simply worship this idol just as the king instructed and then go back to business as usual. Why would you want to risk death? Just do what the king says when he commands it. But for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this would have been a crisis moment for them. You see, their faith was monotheistic. They believed in one God who was the most high God. And that God demands perfect devotion and complete loyalty. They held to the law, which we know in in some respects as the Ten Commandments. And the first few commandments are all about worshiping God and worshiping him alone. They were part of a covenant or a deal with God that said that he was to be their God and they were to worship him exclusively. They were not to make idols or images for fear that they might worship those instead of God. So the question becomes, would these men bow to the pressure of the environment they were in? Would they try to just simply save their necks and worship the idol because after all their lives were at stake? How would their commitment to this most high God weather this most intense of storms? So the temptation for all of us might be to look at a passage like this. And to think that it's kind of ancient and really archaic. It might seem difficult when we first look at it to relate it to our modern world and our modern context. But if you're able to pull things back and look at things at a heart or life level, then you'll find that what's going on in this story isn't really all that different from things that you and I experience every day see, so you and I might not have uh, physical idols in our home that we feel tempted to bow down and worship. But we do have spiritual idols that capture our devotion and demand our, infect, uh, our affection. You might be tempted to worship at the idol of materialism, of wanting to, to build the things and the possessions that you have. You may be tempted to worship at the idol of financial security, about wanting to, to be financially secure for the rest of your lives. You may be living for success or for respect or for the approval of others. These are the things that we think about when no one else is around and we have nothing else to do. They're the things that capture our attention and they capture our affections they're the things that we're willing to sacrifice just about anything in order to have them they are things that control us that when things when things go well we're in a great mood and when things don't go well we're in a terrible mood they are things that we tend to build our identity around reality is anything that steals our devotion and our affection away from God is considered to be an idol. There are many idols today. There are many things that clamor for our attention and our affection, but really there is one idol that stands behind all the other idols. You see, a lot of commentators have looked at this story about Nebuchadnezzar And one of the things that they've believed is something unique about that idol. Most believe that Nebuchadnezzar built that idol to look just like him. See, what he wanted is he wanted all of those people to not just worship his idol. They wanted all those people to worship him. And in effect, he is telling them, you need to worship me Above all other things. What it reminds us is that the idol that lies behind all the other idols that we tend to worship really is the idol of ourselves. Our desires, our affections are often driven by what we want more than anything else. We want to be our own gods. We want everyone else to get with the program and serve us in our desires. And our sin has created this idol, but our culture perpetuates it with the messages that we receive so often. This idol of self really is everywhere. So though you and I may not be tempted to worship towers and golden imagery, images, the drift to idol worship is strong, especially when it comes to worshiping ourselves. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are about to suffer through a storm. They're confronted with the question of whether they are to go along with the pagan culture surrounding them or whether they are to obey the most high God? Will they trust in their ingenuity and compromise their faith, violating the law and the covenant? Or will they trust their God to deliver them? How will they respond to this challenge of trust? And that really is the second thing that we see in this story. And that is the challenge of trust. You see, at this point in the story, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego have made some enemies. They've been promoted beyond all the other people that they were training alongside of. And because of that, their enemies became very jealous of them. So when the music kicks up and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego decide not to worship the idol, they decide to disobey Nebuchadnezzar, their enemies become the ultimate tattletales. And as soon as they choose not to worship, as soon as they choose to obey the law and to obey the the covenant and remain loyal to the most high God, their enemies go straight to Nebuchadnezzar and tell them about their disobedience. And Nebuchadnezzar is furious. He gathers Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego into his presence and he gives them one more opportunity to worship the image and their response back to him is is remarkable. It says in verse 16, they said this, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But if not, be it known to you, O King, that we will not serve your God's and worship the golden image that you have set up. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego rise up in the face of the storm. They rise up in their challenge to their faith. And they even say to Nebuchadnezzar, whether we live or whether we die, whether God chooses to save us or whether he chooses to take our lives, we will not worship this image. It's remarkable and incredible courage that stems from a remarkable sense of trust in their God. You see, what they're doing in this situation is they are intentionally putting themselves into a scenario where all they had was God. God. And you consistently see that all throughout the the heroes in the book of Daniel. Men willing to put themselves in situations where the only way out, where the only option for them is to trust in God. Friends, you and I avoid situations like this at all costs. God consistently calls us to Trust in him with all things, but we would rather trust in ourselves. We would prefer a faith where we get all the benefits of trusting in God, but functionally trust in ourselves. We want God to give us all the benefits of trusting in him while we functionally worship in ourselves, in our own abilities. Jack Miller, in, in one of his books, talked about this and, and about the character of faith. And he writes this about our prayers. He says, The Heavenly Father, however, does not hear our prayers because in reality we are asking him for help so that we can just continue to live a life which is independent of God. Friends, God sends storms our way to challenge our faith. And often as soon as those storms come, what do we do? We ask God to take the storm away. We ask him so that we can can continue being deceived into thinking that we can be our own gods. We ask him to remove the storm so we can go back to functionally trusting in ourselves to make life work for us. But the reality is God is calling us to stop trusting in ourselves and instead to trust in him during the storm. This is the remarkable sense of trust that you see in these young men in the face of this mighty king. They essentially say we may live or we may die, Nebuchadnezzar, but either way, we are going to trust in God through this storm. This really is the challenge of faith. It really is the challenge of trusting God with our lives. But finally, the last thing we see from our story in the midst of this great challenge of trust is we see the presence of God. You see, Nebuchadnezzar is furious. He is angry at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So he commands in his anger that this fire be stoked stronger than it's ever been stoked before. The fire is so strong that it ends up killing those people that actually throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. And the narrative talks a lot about clothing. And what it wants us to see is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were particularly flammable individuals being thrown into this fire full of tunics and clothes. But then the remarkable happens in verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king, and he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. You see, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are taken from the fire. And it says their, their hair isn't even singed and their, their clothes don't even smell like smoke Because they have been rescued by the strength and the presence of God. Friends, life is full of challenges. I don't have to tell you that. You know that. Life is full of challenges. It throws us unexpected things all of the time. And all of these things come to us by the hand of God. But don't be mistaken when you're confronted by these things. Because God never promises us that he will offer us an escape from the challenges that he sends our way. In fact, John Calvin wrote this about the passage. He said that God could have extinguished the flames. But instead, he saved them in the fire, not from the fire. You see, God doesn't promise his people an easy life. He doesn't promise that he will bend to our will and give us everything that we want when we want it. But instead, what he does is he does promise that he will walk with us through the storms. Many people have looked at this passage and concluded that that fourth person in the fire wasn't just an angel, but it was actually Jesus himself prefigured In the midst of a fiery furnace, Jesus himself was walking with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So life is full of storms, but the scriptures talk about one big storm. It talks about one big storm. It alludes to it all throughout the Old Testament. All you have to do is read about the prophets. It talks about one big storm that is on the horizon, one big storm that is coming, and that is the storm of God's wrath. This is the storm of, of God's judgment and his punishment that, that you and I deserve because you and I are idol worshipers. Because we've broken the covenant, because we have broken the law, we've become violators. But the gospel story tells us that Jesus came to earth so that he could walk through the storm in our place. You see, he walked through the storm of God's wrath and God's fury. He allowed the storm of God's wrath to consume him on the cross so that he could be present in our lives, so that he could be present and walk with us through the ups and downs that this life has for us. And his sacrifice is ours through faith, through trusting in him with our lives rather than trusting in ourselves. Friends, our commitment to Christ may waver when the storms hits, when the storms hit. But his commitment to us will never waver. Because he walked through the storm for us. He now walks through life with us. And this is good news.